Welcome to another episode of the Buckle Bomb Show here on Bomb Media Productions. I'm your host, Bobby. I'm so happy to be here to talk professional wrestling with you once again on this glorious Tuesday. I am joined, as always, by my broadcast partner, Anthony Roan. Tony, how you doing, buddy? Buddy, this is just... I'm willing to say too sweet of a Tuesday morning to be here doing this show with you. Oh, I'll get with that. It's gimmick infringement, but I'll handle it. I know you meet it for Bullet Club, but I'm the NWO guy. All right, we'll go ahead and jump right into our first story. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. So jam-packed that uh, even our quick jabs are going to be some main stories, actually. So let's just jump right into our first one here. And that is uh, on Raw last night, Alexa Bliss... Would defeat Bailey to become the number one contender for the uh, for Bianca Belair's Raw Women's Championship. Uh, Bianca Belair was ringside. She would jump into the ring after Alexa Bliss won to congratulate Bliss. But after the Wyatt Six Moth logo flashed on the screen behind Alexa, she would suddenly throw Bianca Belair into position for the Sister Abigail move. But then suddenly drop her and look confused and then run out of the ring embarrassed and upset and afraid. Uh, Where do you see this going? I know you as the big Bray Wyatt fan are probably intrigued by this. Where do you see this going and what does it mean for the Raw Women's Championship? So I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm honestly terrified about this uh, for the simple fact that after last time putting Alexa Bliss with The Fiend, uh, it really put a damper on Alexa's momentum or anything she had going with WWE because it put him in a position where they couldn't really use her for much because after releasing The Fiend, they didn't have anything for her. They couldn't just magically snap their fingers and have her going back to being the Alexa Bliss that we knew of old. Um, And it, it pains me because... Uh, in the last probably six years, Alexa Bliss has been one of my favorite women's champions. Uh, it's intriguing, absolutely. But at the same time, it puts me in a weird position where it's like, here we go again. It's it's certainly an intriguing way to go with it. Uh, and I, I would hope that under the current management... Uh, if they were to be paired up again, it would be booked better. That being said, let's not forget Bray Wyatt's last appearance before he was let go was WrestleMania, where he was betrayed by Alexa Bliss. So it could be more of an unfinished business where one of these Bray Wyatt personalities, The Fiend or whoever, is going after Alexa Bliss. And trying to maybe get her under the sway again, or there could be some animosity there rather than trying to get her to team back up with him. And I like that idea a lot more than the idea of teaming back up. Um, 
and if it's done right, it's going to be an, a great storyline. So far, Bray's making you believe the character, believe in all this fucking Uncle Howdy shit, even though, admittedly, at first, we were both under the same impression that, yes, the characters are a little childish. The perceived message behind it's impactful. But, you know, the Uncle Howdy thing at first was a little out there for everybody. Um, however, I think it's intriguing to see where they will go with it. And I like your idea. I'm not going to lie. Well, it. wasn't that, I mean, in talking about this Uncle Howdy and Bray Wyatt story and the mental health aspect that's kind of wrapped up into it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't in kayfabe, wasn't Alexa Bliss when she was on her absence that no one knew what to do with her for? Wasn't she theoretically away? Uh, getting help for her issues, and then when she came back, she was. They also had a couple segments on Raw where she was in therapy sessions. Right. Okay. So, but here you you still have this brainwashed element where a logo flashes on screen and she changes into someone else for a moment. I mean, I, I think you could do. This is still seems to be an element of a mental health story that maybe could be intriguing if done right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just speaking of, and th- this may or may not be completely off topic. I don't know if you noticed on SmackDown this past week, um, kind of confirming your theory about who Uncle Howdy's based off of. Um, they had him on screen. And, of course, I was at work, so I didn't get to hear the promo. But they actually had Uncle Howdy crying on screen. Really? Yeah. And uh, just a side note on that, uh, some good news on uh, Barry Windham. He is out of ICU and into a regular hospital room. He's doing better at the moment. Um, I will continue to have the link to the GoFundMe on in the description to this video as well if you want to continue to donate to his uh, or if you are able to donate for his uh, medical bills. But yeah, that's it. That's interesting, and I'm I'm sure I'm not surprised that there's a reference, especially with what happened to Barry Windham here recently, and that he's been in the news. Uh, all right, we can uh, move on to our next topic here, and that is Mercedes Vernado. That's what I'm going to call her from now on until she returns to WWE, because I mean her. Next ring name, if she's not in WWE, will probably be Mercedes Monet, it looks like. But we'll just go with Varnado, her shoot name for now. Uh, but it looks like she's not returning to WWE. There are reports out there that her uh, that talks with the WWE have stalled over money and appearances. And it looks like she may be making a deal over in Japan. Now, this comes to us, this most recent report comes to us by way of Joe Lanza of Voices of Wrestling. He has said that Mercedes was in talks with Stardom, an all-female promotion in Japan, but that talks broke down with uh, Stardom executive producer Rossi Agawa after she her asking price was just too high, apparently. And it was not within Stardom's budget. But Stardom's uh, parent company, Bushiroad, which also owns New Japan Pro Wrestling, 
reportedly, reportedly gave permission to actually give Mercedes uh, her asking price. Now, we don't have uh, any confirmation that Mercedes has signed on with Stardom, though all indications seems to point that way. We were pretty sure that she's appearing at Wrestle Kingdom. We, there have already been reports that if she is going to be wrestling with Stardom and with you Japan, that she's going to be in a program with Kyrie for the brand new IWGP Women's World Championship. But just a little note here that if this report is true, the contract that Mercedes would sign for a limited appearance deal, a part-time deal, would also would be for more money than any current Bushy Road, either Stardom or New Japan contract is worth. It would even be more than what Chris Jericho got paid during his New Japan run. What do you think of this news of Mercedes not coming back to the WWE and signing a huge money deal with Stardom over in Japan? Uh, so how do I tiptoe around this without giving away the next stories? Because they all kind of intertwine. Um, is it believable that Bushiro would see the potential and the kind of star that Sasha Banks is? Absolutely. Do I buy into the fact that she has the biggest money deal out of New Japan and stardom? Absolutely not. I think there's more at play here than what everybody's seeing. Um, I also don't know if anybody knows when exactly her WWE contract expires or expired. Uh, Because without that release, it's kind of hard to go get a contract elsewhere. And I mean, no offense to the gentleman who reported on this because just because I don't know what voices of wrestling is, doesn't mean that they're not reputable, but there's just so many factors involved with this and so many other fingers pointing towards different things that that report just doesn't make sense to me. I, to me, it makes sense. I have, I don't see why, I mean, the money is fine. I know you might say if if the report is true, then maybe it could be you the optimist here. And with our next story coming up, maybe you could say WWE would have a part to play in paying some of that money, potentially. But I don't think, because I think Sasha is a huge star. And I think that character, Mercedes, I think that could be huge in Japan. And I'm sure WWE already has a presence in Japan, so they know who she is. I think that could be a character that works really well. It's really colorful and over the top, and I think would be a huge hit with that New Japan audience and that stardom audience. So I could see them saying, hey, no, she's worth the money, especially with women's wrestling uh, exploding here in the last few years, including and especially in Japan. Do I think... Now, obviously, we could get into this uh, WWE crossover stuff in the next topic here. But what do you do? You believe that because it's being reported, it's not just Voices of Wrestling that's reporting this. It's it's multiple people. I believe Fightful's picked it up, and a few other sources that have said, "Yeah, 
talks have stalled. In fact, it is a Meltzer report that talks have stalled uh, a number of weeks ago between Mercedes and WWE, and it was over money. So do you believe those reports at all? Two people in the world that could get fucking 98% of their reports wrong and still have a job or be considered trustworthy. Weatherman and Dave Meltzer. <laughs> but it wasn't just him. There are others too. SRS, Fightful, you know, picked up on it. And so it's it's out there. And, and Meltzer's sources have always been good. It's when he combines that with his own with his own speculating and treats it as reporting is when he gets screwed yeah. up. But, you know, I think... No, so... Go ahead. The The issue for me is... Is... You're right. It's not far-fetched to believe that Sasha Banks is getting this deal from Bushiro. Mostly because... You also have to take in consideration of not only is she a fantastic wrestler, a fantastic character... But she has that crossover appeal for the first time in a female wrestler. Yes. Um, with Hollywood and wrestling. And if I'm not mistaken, this is either going to be the first year or second year that they're doing a women's wrestling match at Wrestle Kingdom. So when you put all that into perspective, yes, it would make sense to back up the Brink's truck tour. But there is just a part of me that feels like you're going to have bigger issues in the long run if that's what they're doing. Like literally talent that has rebuilt new Japan from the dark days. Tanahashi is the one that comes to mind. The ace, the one that literally brought that combined with Okada and bullet club kind of brought new Japan over to the American audience. And not once, by the way, ever threatened to leave New Japan or, you know, sign a contract with any of the Japanese competitors, but stayed true to the company. I mean, if you tell me that a guy like that is going to be making less money, it just seems like something's shady is there. Like, maybe to your point that WWE is footing some of the bill. Well, and again, I don't believe that because I don't believe the WWE will have that big of a working relationship with New Japan. I think there's a working relationship that's building and potentially budding there, which we're about to get to in our next story. And let's just go there. Uh, I do want to point out, you mentioned something about uh, Mercedes maybe still being under contract. Her, her contract status with WWE, we don't know. There was a report that she was, in fact, got that her and Naomi got their release. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's frozen. Maybe it's up at the end of the year as it was originally going to be. And maybe that's why she's not appearing until Wrestle Kingdom. There's a whole lot of moving parts and things that we just don't know yet about her WWE, her current WWE contract status. Maybe there isn't a WWE contract anymore. We don't know. But uh, we'll go ahead and move on because we'll segue right into our next topic here. That's Wrestle Kingdom 17, and this, uh, we know, or at least it's been being reported that Mercedes will show up on that show. We also know, there have been reports lately, we know Carl Anderson is the current Never Openweight Champion, and he's defending that championship against Herculeo tomorrow on New Japan television. 
Now, common uh, wisdom would say, okay, this is a little bit of a deal. He was champion when he signed his contract with WWE. So now, you know, hey, they used him for the Crown Jewel pay-per-view, which took a booking for New Japan away. This is a give back. Here's a booking for New Japan. He gets to drop the title to them and honor his uh, commitment to them. And then now he'll be full-time WWE. Except it's being reported now that Carl Anderson will be at Wrestle Kingdom and will have a match and be on the card for Wrestle Kingdom 17. Which throws whether or not he'll lose the belt even tomorrow into question. Uh, it also creates a bit of history. Uh, a WWE contractor performer uh, performing at Wrestle Kingdom. That means we'll have obviously both Bushi Road uh, promotions, New Japan and Stardom at Wrestle Kingdom. Pro Wrestling Noah's involved in Wrestle Kingdom. We know we've got All Elite Wrestling involved. At Wrestle Kingdom with Kenny Omega at the top of the card fighting Will Ospreay for the uh, IWGP US Heavyweight title. And now we've got Carl Anderson and potentially bringing some OC uh, members with him. Uh, Probably Luke slash Doc Gallows and uh, potentially even AJ Styles and Mia Yim. What, What a card this is turning out to be. Where you have both AEW and AEW EVP, and you have WWE contracted stars on the same card here in Japan in the Tokyo Dome. What do you think of this? The, to me, that's not the biggest news because we already got this back in August. Ric Flair's last match, you had a WWE contracted official tag teaming with an AEW talent against another AEW talent in Ric Flair. Sure, but it, to it, me, that's it, turned, out, it turned out that that WWE official was on his way out. We just didn't know it yet. But regardless, it, it, that's not the news to me. The news to me in this is, this is going to be the first time in the history of New Japan and WWE that WWE contracted wrestler is going to be competing at Wrestle Kingdom. Right. <sighs> We've already seen it in the last couple premium live events. WWE. Well, we'll just go back starting to SummerSlam. And it was something that you brought up with the promo packages for the Intercontinental title and the U.S. title. They've been acknowledging the former WWE superstars that have held the title that are no longer with the company. And then all of a sudden, the OC is back, and they're feuding with Judgment Day, and they're saying fucking Bullet Club on national television, and they're bringing Corey Graves is bringing up Carl Anderson being the never open weight champion, and we are in this weird fucking upside down where nothing makes sense, and I couldn't throw a dart in any direction to hit what I can remotely think is going to happen next. So I'm just going to go to the most Logical yet unlogical option that I could possibly think of. <clears throat> Carl Anderson retains tomorrow. And after Carl Anderson retains, <laughs> I think you're going to see the never open weight championship on Raw. 
I'm not saying it's going to get defended, but it is going to be a prop piece. Kind of like back in the day when Dan Severn was the NWA heavyweight champion and the UFC heavyweight champion. And both of those were coming out with him when he would come out on Raw. Never defended on Raw, but they were there. It wouldn't surprise me to see that. Uh, I do want to say, because remember, there was a report with this whole situation uh, a month or so ago where Sonny Ono and some people within New Japan were a little worried about Tony Khan's reaction to any potential relationship with WWE and Carl Anderson and all this stuff. And they reached out to Tony Khan, and Tony Khan was fine with it at that point. Do you think, do you see there's any way where a continued relationship with WWE, at least until Wrestle Kingdom, could uh, maybe put a, maybe uh, crinkle the relationship between AEW and New Japan? Or do you think... Absolutely not. No. And here's why. So if you recall, I don't know if you know a whole lot about the history between AEW and New Japan. But when AEW was just getting launched, New Japan, um, the best way I can put this is they didn't take too kindly to AEW becoming a thing. Um, there was this beautiful video package that was supposed to play before Kenny Omega's last match against Tanahashi. And it was about remembering your friends and knowing who always had your back and being grateful for the people that got you to where you're at and never forgetting about where you came from. It was basically an ode to Cody, Hangman, and the Bucks, and Marty Skrull, and the rest of Bullet Club, and not forgetting about Japan, but knowing where you're going in the future. And at the time, the New Japan front office was so fucking salty that their big Bullet Club stars were leaving. They put the kibosh on that ever airing. It was something that if you look up, Kenny Omega had put it on his personal YouTube page after the match. Um, and for about the first year, New Japan absolutely refused to work with AEW. And Kenny Omega himself, who loves Japan, loves the Japanese culture, and loves New Japan, relentlessly went after a partnership with them. And I don't think... At this point, you can deny the fact that Tony Khan has chosen a side with who he's going to listen to in the long run when it comes to the professional wrestling aspect of this. I mean, there is a reason why the elite are back and still EVPs. So as long as Kenny Omega is cool with it, I don't think Tony Khan really has a leg to stand on. I think that's the best point in all of this is, yeah, Kenny Omega, I think, wants to continue to work with New Japan, and he's obviously an EVP and has a huge is a huge voice in the ear of Tony Khan. And but not just that, and not to cut you off, but there's another thing with this that we're overlooking. Kenny Omega has stated publicly in the past that he wants all companies working together, WWE included, and this goes into the continued. I don't know if you ever watch Xavier Woods on Twitch, but. Kenny Omega himself is a reoccurring guest yeah. consistently on Xavier's Twitch. Yeah. Uh, they're friends in real life, and he wants to actually work a match with Xavier. So, shit, what better way than trying to just pry that fucking door wide open, let WWE work with New Japan, 
Hope New Japan and WWE come to this working agreement and see where we can be at in another year. I mean, we could be talking about Wrestle Kingdom 18, the battle for American supremacy between a WWE and AEW contract wrestler. Not saying that's going to happen, but in a perfect world, if things go according to plan, why not? I agree with Kenny Omega on this, and that's wild for some people to maybe hear me say. <laughs> I'm aghast. But yeah, I would love all the companies. Obviously, I think any wrestling fan would love all the companies to be working together as much as possible. That being said, when you're the WWE, you know, you've always got to be thinking, what's the benefit to me? I'm the biggest in America. I am the biggest in the world. There may be pockets of the world, you know, Japan, where New Japan's bigger and, and things like this. But why would I want to promote a company that's smaller than me, than me and raise them up a little bit? Now, I would argue a rising tide raises all ships. But, you know, the traditional WWE thinking would say, no, there's no way we could do that. So, even though I think there's an argument there against it. Uh, do you... Do you see, do you legitimately see, and I think I already know the answer to this and you've already kind of hinted at it, do you see this WWE relationship with New Japan lasting beyond Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th? I think we're going to get a little bit of a talent trade. I mean, let's be honest. You know I'm an extreme optimist when it comes to companies working together uh, because yeah. I, want this, I want the synchronicity with professional wrestling. I think it would help eradicate the toxicity that is the professional wrestling community especially online it's something we harp on constantly about how just fucking toxic it is um in a perfect world would you hear bullet club theme song during the men's royal rumble match i mean that would be you know the icing on the cake for me and I, I would a, not want to be in the same room with you. There will be a mess everywhere that has exploded out of your pants. But it will literally be the it'll literally be the marsh meme from South Park where he's just like you know. <laughs> um no, but think about it. We're living in the weirdest professional wrestling timeline right now. Okay. No doubt about it. Where Vince McMahon stepped down from a company and everyone thought that was going to be the news that rocked the year and it wasn't even fucking close. Bigger story was Triple H was a better booker this entire fucking time. Like, leaps and bounds better. And then an even bigger story than that was a shoot fight literally happened where a guy named Ace bit somebody trying to protect a dog named Larry and you couldn't tell who was who so you told that story out loud. You would literally think the dog bit somebody trying to protect the human. The weirdest timeline of professional wrestling. So what's to say that 2023 can't get weird? It has. Let's get weird, baby. Let's yeah, get full blast. You know what? I'm there with you. 2023, if it can find a way to top 2022 in the wrestling world, wow. It would have to be some crazy shit like this. But, uh, all right, I'm there for it. Seth Rollins competing in the Nick Gage Invitational 18 would probably oh. be the end-all, be-all of no, fucking stop insanity. stop it, stop but... it. That would be terrible. Um... Oh, you don't know about Tyler Black? <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, I know. But then I'd have to watch that shit, and I'd... Uh... 
Oh, uh, did I mention I have a Best of John Moxley and Tyler Black DVD? Yeah, I'm sure it'll come up on CWR at some point. All right. Well, we're talking about Wrestle Kingdom. Let's actually go over, if you want to, let's actually go through the announced cards so far since I've got it up here. So obviously there are certain things, you know, Anderson's not on the card anywhere yet. There's no announcement that he's going to be there yet officially. Uh, same thing with Mercedes. So we're just going to go through the announced card. And uh, you can talk about, because I'm not going to know some of this stuff, but you can tell me about uh, what you think of this match. And the first one is for the uh, World TV Championship, 15-minute time limit. Man, see, I love that. Old school. They get the time limits and everything. Uh, Ren Narita versus Zack Sabre Jr. What do you think of this match? This sounds interesting, because I've always... I've never gotten to see... Zack Sabre Jr. and I've always heard good stuff about him, but maybe he's one of those indie riffic wrestlers that I wouldn't like. But I've heard good stuff, so he is indie riffic, but on a different level. He's UK indie riffic. Well, okay, which, which is usually there's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, this match intrigues me because I haven't seen a whole lot of his opponent. So I'll be curious to see, but if you're already in the ranks or you're wrestling Zack Sabre Jr., Bushiro has to have some kind of trust in you. So that's intriguing to me. All right. The next match we have is for the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. It's a four-way match with Hiromo Takahashi, uh, Taiji Ishimura, Master Wato, and El Desperado. Uh, what do you what do you think of this? Well, I gotta go Taiji Ishimori because that's the Bone Soldier of Bullet Club, baby. Come on now. <laughs> and he is the ninety second junior heavyweight champion. He is the defender there. All right. And here, listed as the third main event. Of course, this is on the U.S. website of New Japan. So. They're going by, I would assume, the star power in the U.S. So you got Okada versus Jay White for the World Heavyweight Championship, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match, Jay White defending. What do you think of this match? So this is going to sound a little, I don't want to say insensitive, but it's going to be kind of insensitive. Or I'm sure somebody's going to construe it that way. New Japan is trying so hard to break into the U.S. market right now. Yeah. Not break in, but continue to break the door down in the U.S. market. And unfortunately, to do that, us as Americans, we're kind of simple when it comes to our understanding of foreign language. So I think it would make the most sense for them to keep the title on Jay White, English-speaking, Literally had a night dedicated to him the other night at a Sacramento Kings game. Uh, so, yeah, keep on rolling with the J-Train, baby. Bullet Club for life. And uh, this is a good moment to talk about. We didn't bring it up during our Wrestle Kingdom talk and all this crossover potential with WWE. But Jay White had some interesting comments in an interview where he's being asked about Mia Yim. And said that she's the newest member of the Bullet Club. She's with the OC. She's a member of the Bullet Club. What did you think about that? 
Uh, first official female member of the Bullet Club. No less, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's fucking awesome. It, if you know anything about like Jay White being the leader of the Bullet Club, his opinion on past Bullet Club members has shifted since uh, the Good Brothers went to Impact. Um, it used to be the old guard is dead and gone. Fuck them all. We don't need them. Fuck old Bullet Club. Like, he was very high on carrying that flag. And then you have the Good Brothers and Impact that got to go back to New Japan. All of a sudden, they're Bullet Club again. And, like, a weird 180 happened where Forbidden Door was coming up. The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. No, Kenny Omega was back in the good graces for a little bit until that match. Um, and then he starts shouting out Uncle Allen in interviews, which is AJ. He starts shouting out Prince Devitt, Ferg, uh, Finn Balor. Um, so <laughs> he's being a proponent now of respecting all generations of Bullet Club, which is very interesting to me because this is not the route that the Gorillas of Destiny and Hikaleo wanted to take. That's the reason why there was the rift between G.O.D. and Hikaleo and the Bullet Club, why they're no longer a part of it. Um, so if this could just be the ultimate, like, mastermind, I told you so, and you have AJ come back at Wrestle Kingdom, and you have Luke come back at Wrestle Kingdom, and you have Carl come back at Wrestle Kingdom, all in Bullet Club gear, my God, man! And how great? And Mia how great does that could make Mia your, Yim be there in Bullet Club? Possibly year? Mia Yim as well. Possibly Mia Yim as well. But my God, man, how great does that make you look as your IWGP World Heavyweight Champion by speaking something so seismic shifting into existence? And all all it really is is just affirming a little bit of kayfabe that technically exists between WWE and the Bullet Club there with the OC. So that's really all it, all it is. It's just one little thing. It's a throwaway in an interview. But it's got people like you especially thinking of all these possibilities all of a sudden. That's, that's great. It's great promotion. All right. We'll move on to the next match, which is a 60-minute time limit draw for the IWGP Women's Championship match. The first champion, Kyrie, in her first defense, taking on Tam Nakano. Uh, what do you think of this match? Do you think we see a Mercedes run-in or a Mercedes uh, appearance at the end of this match? You do, but it's not Mercedes. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be Sasha Banks. You don't think it'll be? I, I truly believe I truly believe in my heart of hearts. Yes, she's going to do some work for stardom, but she... She's still going to be Sasha Banks. She's still a WWE contracted wrestler. I think it'll be Mercedes Monet will be her name. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. If it is Sasha Banks, that brings up a whole other bit of possibility there. But I think it'll be because I don't think Sasha has a working relationship with WWE right now. I think it'll have to be Mercedes Monet. All right. We'll move on to the... Main event as far as the U.S. side is concerned for the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship match. Will Ospreay 
will be defending against Kenny Omega in what promises to be a, a huge match that a lot of people here will be very interested in. This is a long-running rivalry across multiple continents. What do you think of this match? The leader of the United Empire against the leader, quote-unquote, of the elite. Uh, to be honest with you, when this match was announced, I was super stoked for it because just the animosity between these two is fucking amazing. They always tell a great story when they're in the ring together. But then when you realize everything else that's on this card, it's not even in my top three. It's kind of like an afterthought when you think about all the potential every other thing on this card has to offer. So uh, I think it's going to be a great match. Just unfortunately for a match that should be one of the most uh, excitable things on the card, it's not even cracking top five at this point. All right. There you have it. That is the card, the current announced card for Wrestle Kingdom 17, which is which takes place, uh, if I'm not mistaken, January 4th. Yep, January 4th on a Wednesday. Hmm. And uh, what event happens later on that month? The Royal Rumble a couple of weeks later. Hmm. All right, just, just asking. I feel like <laughs> you're getting yourself all worked up. And the WWE relationship with New Japan is going to end at Wrestle Kingdom. I think any current agreements end there. Maybe we'll see a continuation at some point. But I think, and I think it'll be a good working relationship and you could see it blossom into something. But I would, I think maybe you would even agree with me that at least the current agreements that are in place only last through Wrestle Kingdom. Doesn't mean they can't add more to it, but... I think, honestly, more, it has to be more than that. I, before we started the podcast, I put a fantasy booker hat on and said the OC goes full heel during the Royal Rumble match. And out comes Bullet Club at a, or a Bullet Club member at a different spot to be a fourth man. That, that purely like just fantasy booking. The reality of it is, is you're either going to get a Tanahashi or an Okada that comes in and makes a quick spot appearance, maybe eliminates some WWE jobbers and then gets eliminated by Braun Strowman. And that would probably be the end of the new Japan relationship. However, like I said, if 2023 is any crazier than 2022, we could be looking at WWNJPW by the end of the year. <laughs> I mean, who fucking knows? Yeah. Yeah. If, if uh, 2023 is as unpredictable as 2022, you good luck predicting anything. All right, that'll do it for Wrestle Kingdom 17. We'll go ahead and move on to our next topic, and it's a big one too. William Regal, we know, is done with AEW. He uh, got out of his contract, which would have been up in April. And according to what he said to Tony Khan, he wanted to go back to WWE to work with his son, who's over there. Um, it does appear that William Regal... And this is according to a report. Let me uh, bring up, I think it was PW Insider, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, PW Insider has uh, reported that Regal and WWE have finalized their deal for when he returns in January. It'll be the first week in January. And that Regal will be a vice president in the company. The what exactly his title is, what exactly his role is, is still unknown at this point. Um. Do you have any 
speculation as to what his title might be and what role he might fulfill in WWE? Absolutely. He's going to be the executive vice president of making a petulant man-child with billions of dollars suck WWE dick every month. I'm, I, I, it pains me to say this because you know what a fucking mark I was for AEW in the beginning. But it's so hard to justify what they continuously keep doing to great talent, which is why I'm so happy William Regal is gone and done with AEW. As far as what he could be doing, I, I literally don't know. I, I don't care. Whatever it is, Triple H has so much admiration and respect for the man that it's going to be a position that he deserves and he's going to be compensated very appropriately for, I believe. I agree. We do know, we talked last week, we were hoping he would have a TV uh, role. Apparently, that cannot happen according to his release with AEW. Uh, he will not be allowed to appear on TV, at least I would assume for a certain amount of time, six months, a year, who knows, according to his release. No, it's AEW. longer. But yeah, it's probably going to be It's quite a, a while. retarded amount of time. It's 2024. It, at least on American TV. Maybe you could put him on uh, European TV or something like that. And that leads into my thing where I think, I think the title is going to be somewhere along the lines. We know Shawn Michaels uh, is WWE Executive Vice President for talent uh, development and creative. And that is his official position as head of NXT. Right now, we know they're building up with a shutdown NXT UK to reorganize it into the larger NXT Europe. I believe, I mean, it, it would be a perfect role for him, I think, where you could have, you could be the executive vice president for talent development in Europe. And he could be the head of NXT Europe. You got Shawn Michaels as the head of NXT here in the States. And then you will have, I, I assume you'd have NXT uh, Latino or something like that. NXT Mexico or whatever. I know they want to get something. NXT Japan is what's reported. There's next. an NXT Japan they want to get started as well. So I, I think you would have different heads for each each area. And uh, I think this would be a perfect fit. Uh, maybe it gets you around the fact that apparently, according to an interview that you sent me from Inside the Ropes uh, that happened before this uh, release with AEW, where William Regal was talking about an idiot that he had to work with after Triple H's uh, heart incident. And that idiot would seem to be Shawn Michaels, according to timelines. So maybe, uh, maybe not. I rethought that. But that's that's what it seemed to be, because we know Shawn Michaels was the guy in charge of NXT after Triple H stepped down there. But do you remember who Vince McMahon's eyes and ears were in NXT when that happened? Bruce? Nope. Who? Road Dog. Yeah, that, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he had Road Dog stooging around, and if but, I could think of anybody they, who they, would be called an idiot, they fired Road Dog too. So, yeah, afterwards. But if I can think of anybody that would be rightfully called an idiot, especially after some of his recent comments on his podcast, you know, that kind of that kind of would make me believe, you know. <laughs> right. 
But I mean, at, that, at the same time, there's your if it is Shawn Michaels, and again, I'm not saying it is. You could be right. It could be someone else entirely. If it is Shawn Michaels, here's a way to, you know, this EVP each each NXT group reports directly to Triple H, and they're not necessarily working together uh, directly, at least at that much. So that could be a way around that, uh, if that is indeed the case. But uh, yeah, what do you what do you think of that? If if he were to be the one in charge of NXT Europe, do you think that would be the right move for him? Yeah. Where where is his son? Where is his son right that now? That I don't know. Company? I wasn't even aware his son was a part of WWE in any capacity. It was something I'd heard. Uh, I I'd heard a couple of months ago, but it never it never entered my thoughts or my radar. I'm like, oh, well, maybe. In fact, it might have been one of the very earliest. Hey, I think you know reports that AEW and William Regal were done where it was brought up, but. Well, let me look that up. But yeah, uh, go ahead. Go ahead and continue talking about what you think his role could be. Do you think uh, Europe would be a good place for him? Much like you, I didn't know Regal's son had anything to do with WWE until after this all came up. Um, I think Regal's fit would be great anywhere. William Regal, Stephen Regal, whatever you want to refer to him as, is one of those presences that like i saw a comment the other day actually that summed it up perfectly as a kid you didn't realize how great william regal was until you grow up and then you look back at his body of work and then you really appreciate regal for who and what he is to professional wrestling so if they decide to only utilize him for europe i think that's kind of a waste of talent I think he can be more of an asset globally to WWE than just in one region. Um, who knows? Maybe he can even potentially be the executive vice president of NXT Global, who is just the liaison for all NXT around the world. I could buy that being a thing as well. Um, but the only thing that like really has me curious is that I stated earlier, the contract or the stipulation i guess that tony khan had given upon the release of william regal is he can't appear on wwe television until 2024 really interesting of him to choose the year 2024 all things considered with mjf but that leaves me with one question and one question only Despite him not being allowed to appear on WWE television, does that mean that he could maybe go on like uh, an internet show for WWE and just show war games every November? Because I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be able to be on screen to, to say war games. You might have to do another compilation like Triple H did this year. But uh, What a great way around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we do have... Here is, on WWE.com, this is Charlie Dempsey. This is William Regal's son. This is his official profile. He, he has been a part of NXT UK. So, and as far as I know, he hasn't been brought over to NXT yet, but he is still under contract. He was not one of the releases. So, it would be interesting to see 
You know, I, I think that's if, and I think William Regal's always been an honest and stand-up guy. I, I would assume what he said to Tony Khan to get out of his contract with AEW was true. He wants to go be with his son. And if that is, in fact, true, then it would make that much more sense for him to be in charge of NXT Europe, I think. Though I don't disagree with what you said about him having, he could have a huge impact globally, but I think this is a way to do that. Man, I just, it's so hard when we do these shows to not throw on the ye old fancy booker hat. Because for me, Tony Khan gave William Regal the shelf life of until 2024 before he can appear on television. That is another year. I don't know how long Charlie Dempsey's been wrestling. And I've never seen any of his work, but he could be a fucking modern day prodigal son for all we know. Mm-hmm. And what's to say he's not going to be on the main roster in 2024? What's to say dad's not a mouthpiece for him or manager or kind of like a coach like he was with Blackpool Combat Club? Can you just imagine like the fucking Burberry scarf coming across a WWE Titan Tron and out comes MJF just shit talking? Well, I put you out of commission. I put you out of commission with those elitist pricks. I'm going to do the same to your son now. And that would start like his first rivalry in WWE. I mean, can't tell me all these companies aren't working together. Ah. <laughs> put the tinfoil hat, man. Come on. Ah. All right. On that note, we're already booking 2024. We might as well jump on to our next topic here. And FTR, now they just had a big title defense at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view against the Briscoe brothers in a double dog collar match. They lost the titles to the Briscoes. Um, I have yet to see that match. But Tony wanted to talk about FTR and basically all their 2022 and where we see them going in their future here. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't seen their most recent match. But uh, how do you... I, I want to start with this. They started as heels, but they had that sort of natural return going into 2022, but they had that natural return where the fans just like, man, they're good workers, and we love these guys. And by within a couple of months in the year, they, they had fired Tully Blanchard, and they were perhaps the biggest heels or biggest faces and getting the biggest reactions in all of wrestling, to say nothing of AEW television, uh, what do you think of uh, FTR's 2022? Miraculous and underwhelming all at the same time. Yeah. FTR continuously, match after match, proves why they are the top guys. And I will dispute this with anybody i mean are the usos a great tag team absolutely but can you think of an ftr match that happened this year that did not have you on the edge of your seat the entire time i would i would argue like dax's singles matches i think dax may be the best wrestler in the world right now just even even as a single i i totally buy that um Part that is so upsetting, though, 
is yes, you're going to book FTR to become Ring of Honor champions. Yes, you're going to have AAA book them as their tag team champions. And for the love of fucking God, you have New Japan booking them as their tag team champions. But for whatever reason, you aren't going to book, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest tag team in the last five years to become the face of your home base promotion in AEW. That con Kane is going right through his head, brother. I I don't know what else is like how you even fucking justify that. Well, there's a conspiracy theory among certain people who follow a certain wrestling personality that they're being held down by the young bucks. That the young bucks don't like them because they know they're better than them. And I don't think that's necessarily true. But at the same time, why haven't they been getting more opportunities on AEW television? They've certainly been put in decent spots. They get a huge pop every time their music comes on, every time they come out. I don't care if it's with frickin' Danhausen or if it's with CM Punk. They get a huge pop every single time. That just reminded me of a picture that came across Twitter of wrestling images that are easily forgotten. And it was the Young Bucks after they won the AEW Tag Team Champions with CM Punk. And they're all striking. They're all hitting the Young Bucks pose backstage for a photo shoot. Nice. <laughs> oh, the tides are changing. But um, I don't think that's a theory. That, that conspiracy theory holds water at all because at the end of the day, money's money. And Young Bucks versus FTR is going to make money. This is something, and I know you're not a being the elite guy, but going back to before AEW was a company, there was a long-running gag on being the elite, which is how FTR got their name in AEW, which was Cody Rose and the Young Bucks just yelling, fuck the revival randomly. Well, and it's that version of the hashtag FTR logo. It's that era. That I pulled the logo from. Yes. Like they would literally be going to Starbucks and ordering coffee and saying that their name was FTR. And they'd be like, FTR, FTR coffee for FTR. And Cody would just be like, fuck the revival. So, yeah, that that conspiracy theory is fucking asinine and moronic. I think what this is, is it's another case of the petulant billionaire man child who has all of this shiny new wrestling action figures when it comes out. So maybe the wrestling action figures that you had prior to that, you don't play with as much anymore. Which is a damn shame because FTR is a hell of a tag team. Now, with that said, if you don't mind, I want to get into what happened after the double dog collar match. Absolutely. Dax Harwood put out a tweet that said, we're done. That's all it said. And I think we are so quick to jump to conclusions on every little fucking thing that happens. Because automatically everyone started reporting, is FTR leaving AEW? Is FTR, oh my God, they're going back to WWE, confirmed. Oh my God, they're going to go to New Japan. They're going, no. They're done wrestling the Briscoes. This was their third fucking match in three Ring of Honor. That's how I took it. I didn't even think about it in in any other context. Yeah, because I saw that tweet too. Everybody fucking blew it out of proportion like it was like 
I'm not surprised. Fuck you, Tony Khan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not surprised, but they've also done it in their own ways. Um, I don't know. The PW Insider Top 500 tag team comes out, and they literally are talking shit back and forth with the Briscoes about how shitty working for Tony Khan is. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) So to say that they would have to fucking put subliminal messages in a fucking tweet to get their point across is has to be the most mental gymnastics I've ever seen someone do when it comes to professional wrestling. Yeah. Well, speaking of, where do you see them going in 2023? Do you find do you think we finally get a young bucks FTR match in 2023 because right now the Bucks are kind of in this trios thing. Uh, I would imagine they'll probably probably be trios champion at the end of this uh, series of seven matches, this best of seven run. So, Fucking do you, do you think FTR? <laughs> even you're there. <laughs> do you think? Uh, do you think the Young Bucks come back? to the tag team division and win the tag team titles back either from the acclaimed or whatever. They prop themselves up as big heels and you, you could definitely be heels against the acclaimed. They're one of the hottest teams going right now. It's inevitable dude, because when Kenny Omega comes back from new Japan in January is the IWGP us champion. I mean, that story doesn't bode well for a fucking trios title. I mean, it's the only reason the best friends, I'm sure, haven't been fucking trios champions yet. Because it wouldn't make any sense for Orange Cassidy to be the fucking All-Atlantic champion and a trios title. I think that's the same reason why they got the All-Atlantic title off a pack. Um, Do you think think FTR could find a third partner? Um, Obviously, it won't be Punk this time. Do you think they could find a trios partner and go after the Elite? Would it be great if it were punk? But well, I don't think we're going to see a cult of personality. But there is somebody not. in AEW that they've remained very close with, and I find it really ironic because now we're in this day and age where MJF is the uh, AEW champion. But uh, the fourth member of the Pinnacle, Wardlow. There we go. He's not going to have a whole lot going on. Maybe it might be a it Maybe. might be a way to bring him up because they, he's he was really hot for a while and he sort of faltered. And we were hoping maybe a program with Samoa Joe could help. It's kind of been middling so far. So yeah, maybe maybe bring him into this. You have the elite as trios champions. You could have FTR and Wardlow, and you've got all these huge stars and Wardlow. It'd be a way to bring up Wardlow. I don't know that that could be a, that could be a fun run. Ultimately, though, you want to see FTR and the Young Bucks, right? Just pure tag team for the tag the team. Pure tag team match, yes. Have them come out in the revival gear. That's a de- Remember the original revival gear from XT? No flips, just fists. <laughs> okay, there you go. And have them go against the Young Bucks and watch the fucking roof come unglued 
on any fucking arena that takes place in. Yeah. That should be the end-all goal before the FTR contract expires. Yeah, I I agree completely. You have to get to a point where, you know, it's FTR versus the Young Bucks. I think that's where you have to go. And it, it's it's weird that it hasn't happened yet. I mean, it happened. There were matches between them. But after this shift where FTR were huge baby faces, they were so over. You know, why why didn't we shift gears into another match with them? And, you know, there have been things that have happened. Maybe it wasn't, they weren't ready yet. They were trying to pivot storyline-wise, and then All Out happened, and blah, 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 blah. But well, there was also a point with Cash Wheeler, too. They were leading to Young Bucks FTR match, and uh, Cash Wheeler caught his arm on that awkwardly placed turnbuckle. That's right. That ripped his arm apart. Yeah. That fucking freak accent, dude. Like, the shit like that happens. It's unfortunate, but what can you really do So, about you know, as much as we want to talk about Tony Khan maybe not being the best in this situation. At the same time, you know, there are just unforeseen circumstances. Tony Khan has come out on record in saying that he had ideas for the Young Bucks that involved CM Punk, and we did see a trios match uh, the night after Punk won the world title for the first time, and that was when he got injured. But when apparently the Danhausen curse uh, hit CM Punk's foot... <laughs> But, uh, you know, apparently there was supposed to be a run there of matches with uh, FTR and Punk as a trio uh, on TV. And when that didn't happen, they didn't know what to do with FTR for a bit because they had other plans with tag teams and this and that. So it it was just a cascading series of events, potentially, that kept them off AEW TV. But it allowed them to go other places and do other things. Um, we saw great matches in New Japan. You know, obviously the Briscoe matches, you know, the trio of matches. And I, again, I haven't seen uh, this Ring of Honor pay-per-view that happened this weekend. I was working and I just haven't been able to catch up to it yet. So I haven't seen this match. I'm dying to. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I see great things in their future. I know you do too. I just I, hopefully AEW can get to a point where they get there, because it's almost gotten to the point. You know, now they've lost to the Briscoes, they lost to the Acclaimed on Dynamite. Uh, Dax lost to Brian Danielson in a singles match the week before that. Like, which what a fucking match that was. Yeah, that was a banger. Yeah, and again, part of the reason you know why I would argue, and obviously. You're in there with Brian Danielson. He's going to make you look good no matter what. But I would almost say it was the other way around. Like, Dax Hardwood, Hardwood is mm. so fucking good that I legitimately would not... I think it, there's an argument that he is the best wrestler, your wrestler in the world right now. And Cash Wheeler may not be far behind him. We just don't see him in singles matches. But, you know, I, 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 this is my favorite tag team in the world for sure. And perhaps my two favorite wrestlers right now, just individually, uh, no matter what company I'm talking about. So I'm really excited to see where they go from here. Can I maybe throw an idea out to you? Sure. You're going to put your booking hat does, on again. No, but does it necessarily have to be young bucks versus FTR for the AEW tag team titles? Does it have to be? No, but I think that's 
let's think the natural rivalry. Let's just think about the let's think about the history though. Arguably, AEW does some of their best work with storytelling when it's not a championship match. I MJF CM Punk. I Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. The story's there. The history's there. You can go into so much detail and not have the championship be a factor whatsoever. Yeah. So. True. At the end of the day, I, I think they're putting too much credence on it actually having to be a title match. Because let's face it. Even if this ends up being FTR's last match in AEW and we finally get there, but it's their last match. The title's kind of fucking moot at that point anyways. Well, if it's their last match and they're not sticking around AEW after that, after their contract's up, yeah, sure. Um, but, I mean, from a storyline perspective, you want to see them finally get that win because the Bucks have beaten them every time, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So. There's a part of me that wants to think no. They were, they FTR were. got one over them when they first came Maybe, because they, they were champions. They were AEW Tag Team Champions once early on. And mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it was over the Bucks where they got those titles, but I, 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 don't, yep. I don't remember. Back when they had that badass black truck. I want to know what the fuck ever happened to that thing. <laughs> but all right, uh, we want to know what you guys think. What do you think of FTR? What do you think of their 2022? Were they used well in AEW? Were they underutilized? What, what do you think of their matches with the Briscoes? And where do you see them going in 2023? What do you think their future looks like? Let us know down below in the comments. All right. We're going to go ahead and jump to our quick jabs. we got a few even decent-sized stories here. Uh, first up is Matt Riddle. Uh, he was written off TV with that Samoan spike. Apparently, on December 5th, apparently he has been suspended for six weeks. That was a way to write him off TV for a second violation of the wellness policy. Uh, And at that point with this violation, he either gets fired or he goes to rehab. So apparently he's being put into rehab by the WWE. Um, It is notable, despite the 420 shirts and all that stuff, obviously... The WWE doesn't test for marijuana anymore. I don't think it's officially changed in the policy. It was just kind of a quiet thing where they don't, we're not worried about marijuana anymore. So that's just the thing to keep in mind here. This isn't a weed violation. This is something potentially more serious, though we don't know exactly what. What do you think of this news of Matt Riddle being suspended for a wellness policy, his second violation? Oh my God, color me shocked. The dude that has a giant magical mushroom tattooed on his ribcage failed a drug test. I mean, you know, despite it being Riddle's character, I mean, if you look back to his UFC career, this is something that he struggled with is passing a piss test. I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah. But at the same time, the libertarian in me, all drugs should be legal. Whatever you do with that's on you. What you do in your own time's on you. As long as you're not on national television trying to advocate marijuana use to fucking children, WWE. <laughs> I but, I agree. Like obviously, I'm libertarian as well. You know, I legalize all drugs. What you do to your own body is your business. 
That being said, maybe don't get stoned. You know, you can understand a company, especially a, a big corporate, very visible company, not wanting someone who, you know, visibly is out there getting screwed up on drugs all the time. So, well, legal or not, again, legal or not. To, so, to be fair, though, you had Rob Van Dam through the 90s and early 2000s with WWE. That dude's whole gimmick was being a pothead that looked like fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme. You recently had Road Dog come out on an episode of Oh, You Didn't Know Podcast to admit that the New Age Outlaws, when they wrestled The Rock and Stone Cold, Brian James was higher than fucking pigeon tits. Oh, I he's, mean, he's admitted beyond that. He's He says, I don't even oh, remember yeah. most but, of my matches in that era. Like Kipper said, some of us get in this business to look good, others get in this business to feel good. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, continue. I'm sorry, man. It was just something that came to mind real quick because no. they literally have put Riddle in this position where they compare him to the new Rav Van Dam to the point where literally Rollins' outfit at Clash at the Castle was Rob Van Dam inspired just to get in the head of Riddle. So, yeah, that this is like one of those things that like waters wet. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, if it's something beyond marijuana you certainly want as a wwe both as the entity and the corporate and you got to look at the business side but also just on the human side and from a more insular business perspective even you know you want your performers to be at the top of their game you don't want them out there getting you know even even marijuana to a certain degree i don't think that's as bad but, you know, certainly a lot of the stronger stuff, you don't want them out there on pills. You don't want them out there on this or that. Because aside from the optics, you know, you don't want to be in a position victory road. I mean, you don't want to, you don't, you never want to be in that position with a Jeff Hardy. So, and, you know, certainly we just talked about Road Dog back in the day. You don't want to be in that kind of position again where you have talent out there that maybe compromised so obviously you have to be careful and if you can get help to riddle to maybe curb some of this that that's not a bad thing though you know depends on the rehab facilities and because some of them are cracks of shit but or if you're an old school ecw fan this term will pop you here lizard 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 but you know i'm clearly not an ecw fan (laughs) so there's an old story that back in the day, everybody knows ECW was the wild, wild west. And New Jack tells a story of Balls Mahoney accidentally taking way too much acid before a match. And he was tripping balls in the middle of the match so hard that Paul Heyman made New Jack and another wrestler go out to the ring to kind of help him out, not knowing that these guys were also tripping their dicks off on acid. And instead of helping Balls Mahoney out of the ring or set up the finish or whatever they were supposed to do and attempt to end the match, New Jack thought it would be a great idea to grab a microphone and just start saying, here, lizard, lizard, lizard. 
not knowing that Balls Mahoney was actually tripping, seeing fucking lizards in the rain, causing him to freak the fuck out. It was a house show, so it's not on film, but still one of the funniest ECW stories, I think, of all time. <laughs> all right. Um, I do have one other, or it, really it's a pair of stories that I think are somewhat related. They're AEW-centric stories. Um, one I think is good news for AEW. The other, well, is yet to be seen whether it's good news or bad news. Um, I don't know, many of you probably have never heard of Michael Manzari. But he was, he started in WWE in 2009 as a PA he uh, a production assistant he rose all the way through the ranks to become a vice president of global television production he left the WWE in 2020 despite being incredibly popular Triple H was a huge fan of this guy uh, and he was kind of the heir apparent to Kevin Dunn in fact earlier this year when there are all these rumors about, are they going to keep Kevin Dunn? We don't think Triple H and Kevin Dunn like each other that much. Mike Manzuri was the guy that was rumored to be to come back to take that role from Kevin Dunn as the uh, executive producer of the show. But that didn't happen. And in 2020, the reason Manzuri left WWE was because he'd gotten as high as he could get. The next step would have been to take over for Kevin Dunn's job, which just was not going to happen, certainly under Vince McMahon. So he left the company. And recently, AEW has hired Mike Manzuri as senior vice president and co-executive, uh, a co-executive producer. So he is now the Kevin Dunn of AEW. Uh, just thought that was a really interesting piece of news. A lot of WWE people and even a lot of anti-AEW people are saying this is a fantastic move for for AEW that are in the know, no Mike Manzuri. What do you think of this news? Good for him. I mean, I'm not really familiar with him, but that's great that anybody who is an heir apparent to a horse-faced cocksucker like Kevin Dunn gets a shot with a different company. I mean, to quote the great John Moxley, fuck that guy. I mean, <laughs> if I get fucking vertigo from watching Raw one more time because of Kevin Dunn and his stupid fucking zoom-in shots every time somebody throws a fucking punch, my God. But yeah, no, good for him. And that should be a fucking message to everybody out there. Know your worth. Realize your worth. If you think you should be worth more to a company than what you are, go to the next company and you get your paper, boo-boo. All right. And the other, the other side to this uh, actually has to do with Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, an executive, two executives, in fact, at Warner Brothers Discovery who are major advocates for AEW within Warner Brothers Discovery have been let go. They're now gone from the company. Uh, so Variety is reporting that Nancy Daniels, a longtime executive with Discovery and who's brought on board when they took over Warner Brothers, uh, she was put into positions. She was the head of programming on TNT and T TBS. Um, she's now been removed from that position. You also have, um, let's see, what was his name? 
There was someone else as well. Scott Lewers, who was um, also uh, was uh, the head of series expansions and tentpole programming and had a lot to do with like the winter is coming and all the cross promotions with AEW and other Warner Brothers Discovery properties. He is also gone from the company. These were guys that worked directly with, these were people that worked directly with AEW, loved AEW, were, uh, as we said, uh, big advocates for AEW within Warner Brothers Discovery. They are now gone. Tony Khan had a lot of praise for both of these people uh, because he liked working with them. And obviously they liked him. They're gone from the company. There is now the replacement for uh, Nancy Daniels uh, is Jason Sarlanis. And he was previously in control of crime content with Warner Brothers Discovery. He has also previously worked with ABC and with E! Entertainment. We don't know his feelings on wrestling, at least not publicly. So uh, obviously this is a new relationship AEW will have to forge. Uh, hopefully it it proves positive, but right now we just don't know. Obviously, two major advocates for AEW in Warner Brothers Discovery are now gone. What do you think of this news? Man, I'm starting to get some AOL Time Warner vibes right now. Fucking deja vu. Um, expect a lot of unresolved John Cena getting stabbed whodunit storylines, I would just imagine. Um <laughs> Yeah, fuck, dude. You feel bad, but you don't feel bad. Booker T said in an interview this week that he doesn't see AEW being in business in five years. <sighs> For as much as I would like to disagree with Booker T on that, I think he has his timing a little bit off. If you're not... What's the best way to put this? If you don't have a long-standing history with a certain network executives like WWE had with Dick Eversall, right? And you're on a network that has so many constant changing and rotating parts. Your tomorrow is not guaranteed. So this just seems like something that's going to be a massive setback. Well, it, it, it has the potential maybe to be, but we don't, it's, we just don't know right now what well, jason's thoughts are on aw programming on the turner networks are are going to be maybe he'll maybe he's as enthusiastic if not more so than nancy was but you know well here's why I, here's why i have serious doubt um my quick jab was going to be that tony khan announced at the media scrum after final battle that ROH TV is going to live exclusively on Honor Club. He's bringing back Honor Club because he had shuttered it. I don't know if you ever used Honor Club. God damn, was that the jankiest bullshit ever? Well, hopefully it gets improved now that you've got some money with Tony Khan behind it. But you get a better better company to build the app, I would hope. Fingers crossed, man. I just well, I mean, hey, let's the WWE network app that we all grew to love before it moved over to Peacock was pretty janky in the beginning, too. 
So sometimes these yeah. things happen, and, and and at a relaunch, I would imagine it's going to be janky on a relaunch, no matter what. But eventually, you get there. Now, here's my issue, potentially with that. They're sticking with the nine ninety nine price point, I believe. Mm-hmm. So nine ninety nine gets you a weekly TV show, plus I assume a video library, right? All previous Ring of Honor video on demand stuff. Yeah, yeah. What? But you don't get. Pay-per-views, I'd imagine. No. So you're still paying... It, it gets you a discount on okay. the pay-per-view. All right. Fair enough. I, I can buy that. I think that's I think that's good. Because if you're paying the full that's $10... That's what Impact Plus was for a Okay. Bit. That, that I can buy. But if you're, if you're paying, you know, $50, $60 for a pay-per-view plus the $10 a month for the TV show, you know, you got to be putting on some damn good shows for people to continue to pay that. So... You know, and Ring of Honor has the potential for that. You know, Ring of Honor fans are nothing if not loyal. But, you know, if it's typical Tony Khan AW booking just on a Ring of Honor show, eh, we'll see. All right. Uh, any other any other quick jabs you got? Anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, screw it. I'll bring this up. Uh... In the same interview that was done with Jay White, where he mentioned Mia Yim being the first female Bullet Club member, um, he was asked about women's wrestling in general, and uh, he said he would love to see Sasha Banks become the second female Bullet Club member. So there's that, if that's any fucking indicator about what might happen at Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> well, right, and, and another point towards her being a part of stardom. And being under the Bushy Road umbrella. But uh, yeah, so, certainly interesting. A lot of interesting comments by Jay White. Um, it's looking to, right now, I'm almost more excited for Wrestle Kingdom than I am for Royal Rumble. Like, it's it's right there. And me, excited for a New Japan show more than the Royal Rumble? Very interesting. But there's a lot of fun stuff that could happen at that show. And you're hyping it up beyond that, even. So I'm probably going to be end up disappointed. But... <laughs> Well, here's why I have to hype it up, because for as great as Wrestle Kingdom shaping up to be, Royal Rumble always holds a special place in my heart. Me and my grandfather used to watch Royal Rumble every year because it typically happened on the weekend of my birthday. Right. So, Royal Rumble to me will always be the end-all, be-all, number one pay-per-view. Premium live event now. Speaking of janky fucking apps, fix Peacock for the WWE library, please and thank you. Um... But yeah, so you kind of hope WWE comes back with some heat. Granted that WWE is helping make Wrestle Kingdom fucking massive this year. Uh, when you're on your note for jankiness and Peacock in the WWE library, you're never going to see it changed. And I'll tell you why. That old shit that you and I like to go back and watch old pay-per-views and even some of the stuff I'm sure we'll be watching for CWR and old world class shows, nobody watches that shit. Uh, it's come out. That's not what I'm talking about. It's come out recently, yeah. But how hard is it to even find that stuff? Like to find the Ric Flair um, back in back when we were, did the card, and I wanted to watch the uh, Ric Flair, uh, uh, Kerry Von Erich match at the Texas Stadium, right? I thought, oh, it should be easy to find this match on the network. 
and it was nearly impossible. It took me a long time. I had to find, I had to find the dates and wait, this date's not on there. And I had to scrub through shows and, but there's, there's no reason to put any money into doing that for even some of the newer stuff because people don't go back and watch the old stuff. Uh, they've, I, you know, it was, there was, I think it was on the Kevin Nash podcast. I think it was on Click This where they talked about they had a little inside of information. Nobody watches that stuff uh, according to the numbers that they have. It's what they watch in the network are the pay-per-views, the PLEs, and the documentaries that are coming out, but they don't go back and watch old shit, which is, to me, you know, my favorite part. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um... But to go with that, here's what I was talking about with the jankiness. Remember on the network when you could skip to an individual match on a yeah card? That's what I'm. That was for. huge. I, I love that on the network. Else. Yeah, and you could do that with I, even on old historical stuff, and it was great. And I love that. And it's not on. I don't people. care about searching for a match. I don't care about anything like that. If you just let me jump in a fucking pay-per-view, let's say, for example, Bash at the Beach 2000, and I want to skip right to the Junkyard Invitational, then by all means, goddammit, let me fucking do it. The worst match in professional wrestling history, but I pop every time I watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, (laughs) I love the way they did the chapters there, and it was such a... Because I love going back and watching old Nitros sometimes, just on a whim because that's what I grew up watching and just to have being able to jump. Ooh, I want to see, I want to see that match. Hooventude versus Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, let's go there. But it's just not, you know, it's, I don't even know what's on aside from the little descriptions, which are shit, you know, half the time. Some PA who yeah. didn't watch the show is writing this little blurb, you know. Give me the cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, anyways, any anything else you wanted to bring up? Or, I think I think that's it. We're at about an hour and a half now, so yeah, pretty well, good show I'm here. Good to go. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Buckle Bomb Show. Make sure you comment down below. I want to know what you guys think when we talk about FTR. Where do you think Mercedes Varnado, Sasha Banks? Do you think she goes over to Japan? You know, let's talk about William Regal. Let's talk about all kinds of stuff down below. Me and Tony will both be down in the comments. Join us down there. See you later. The preceding announcement has been paid for by Bomb Media Productions.